Well, good morning. I'm glad you're here. Isn't it nice that the, though we had moisture, it didn't freeze or it wasn't snow? Hey, we are a church that wants to be involved in our community and certainly our state. And as you know, um, our state has gone through it with the flooding. And you, the question is, what is North Point's plans? Well, this week, a bunch of the pastors from Brian Pastors, we get together bi-monthly and, and there was a guy from Fremont, there was a guy from Plattsmouth, and they said, you know, the help we're going to need is in the weeks and months to come. Right now, we've got trucks coming in from hy V and stuff, so the person who shows up with their minivan full of water or stuff, it, it's great, but it, it's not the need. Right now, it's, it's probably more uh, in the way than, than meeting a need. They said that the issues are going to come two weeks, four weeks, six months, a year, tearing out carpet, replacing drywall. And so that's our plan. We're going to hook up with these churches, and we know two for sure. I'm in a district meeting with them. And so we will be uh, in touch with you as we hear from them. We've put out um, feelers to them, and so they're going to let us know. So what's North Point's plan? That's our plan. If if you want to help immediately, we encourage you to to, um, donate to the Red Cross or the Convoy of Hope. They're they're doing a great work, and they're going in there in, in, in large scale. So if, if you want to do something immediately, that's what we encourage. As a church body, then we will be involved in the pick up, the cleanup that goes on later. And, and a lot of these guys said, you know, what happens is people come and there's an initial, oh, we want to help, and then they disappear, and it's in the two weeks and four weeks and three months and six months that we really need to help because it's going to be a journey um, cleaning this up. 1968, 1988, I spent the summers in Istanbul, Turkey, and... Um, the Turks are known for their carpets, and they're great souvenirs, they're great things to take home, but if you're a Westerner, they pick you out, there's a big bazaar you go into in, in Istanbul, it's a touristy area, and if you're from the West, they can pick you out like from six miles away, <clears throat> and immediately the price of a carpet goes up three to four to five times, and then they're going to give you half price, but what they don't tell you is they jack the price up four or five times before you walk in the place. And so you go in there knowing, in a sense, you're in their clutch. You're, you're in their grip. There, there's nothing you can do. There's no Kelly Blue Book on Turkish carpets. You're, you're just kind of had. Well, my second year there, there was a couple of missionaries. They had been there a couple of years, and they knew the language, and they knew the culture. And one of these guys said, Andy, I'll go with you, and I'll, I'll bargain and I think I can, because I know the culture and I know the language, I think I can get you a good price, but you're going to have to be totally dependent on me. You can't say anything. You have to, and I'm going to speak in Turkish to the guy, and he's going to want to speak English with you, and, and you just speak to me, and I'm going to speak Turkish, and then, then you take my cue. If I say, if I, say I think we need to, Andy, I think we need to leave, then, then we need to get up and leave. And, and I said, you're on, man. I will shut my mouth, and I will follow your lead. And supposedly, I guess, I, I got a pretty good price uh, on the carpets. But it rode on me living in complete dependence on this guy. You trust me, you know, you speak when I speak to you in English, otherwise you're not in this conversation. You trust me, and I can free you from the clutches of this guy who wants to rip you off. His presence in that place freed me. Well, I want to suggest to you that 
in a similar way, God's presence frees us in a much greater way. We think God's presence, oh, what a burden. No, 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 I would argue, what a liberation. And I want to talk about that today. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open that to Genesis 13 and 14, and as I said, we're going to go through this passage, and we're going to wrestle with this question, what freedom, not, not burden, what freedom does God's presence offer us? So our passage starts this way. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife, and all that belonged to him, and Lot with him. If you weren't with us last week, Abraham took God at his word. God said, if if you will follow me, I'm going to make you a great nation. We talked about this, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And we understood that through Abraham, God was reinserting himself in a world that had rejected him, that pushed him back. The first 11 chapters of Genesis talked about God's creation and humanity's pushback. We'll do it our own way. What a disaster that was. And in a sense, what a disaster it continues to be. But God has said, I'm, I'm reinserting myself through people of faith, through people who will take me at my word. And Abram was one of those because he left everything he knew, his people, his land, his language, and he followed God. Why would he do that? Because he believed God was good to his word. But there was a famine in the land. And so Abram had to leave to, to Egypt, and he got down to Egypt, and his faith faltered. He thought, you know, my, my wife's an attractive woman, and it, you know, if, if they find out and they find out we're married, they'll kill me to take her. So wife, Sarai, we're going to play you off as my sister. And sure enough, Pharaoh's official saw that's an attractive woman, and Abram said, yeah, that's my sister. And they took her into Pharaoh's courts, and man, they laid the livestock and the stuff on Abram. But there's expectations, if you know what I mean. Well, God brought plagues and stuff on, on the, the house of, of Pharaoh, and, and, and Abram was sent on his way. But, but his faith, his ability, his willingness to take God at his word for this time failed. But there's restoration when our faith fails, and, and that's what we see uh, starting in verses, uh, uh, picking up in verses 2 through 4. It says, now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold. And, and some of that came from Pharaoh even. But God has favored Abram. He, he's showed him his blessing. So Abram goes and it says, He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he made there formerly. God had, had showed up to him and, and Abram made an altar to, to worship to him. And again, end of verse 4 says, And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So this failure wasn't forever. It was forgiven. There's restoration. And Abram is back, taking God at his word. I believe you. I trust you. I'm going to go forward with you. Now we think we're in fellowship. We're in connecting with God. We're we're, we're believing him. We're taking him at his word. Everything's going to go well. No, no, not not always. Verse 5 through 7 says, Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. Lot is Abram's nephew. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. So God's blessing, God's favor is causing a problem. I'm a city kid. I don't know much, but I I do know that, that livestock need... They need pasture and they need water. 
And the more you get, the more pasture you're going to need. That went to Texas A&M. That's an agricultural school. I picked that up. That's what I picked up. <laughs> Texas A&M. I had a lot of ag, ag majors. So there's, there's a limited amount of land, and there's more cows that need the grass and need the water. So there, there's conflict. So what do you do? What do you do? Listen to Abram's response, verses 8 through 10. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please, separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. If to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. So, so Abraham says, hey, Lot, yeah, we, 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 we got we to gotta go our ways. Tell you what, you go where you want. Lot, you, you look around and, and you choose. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. He's giving Lot carte blanche. You pick what you want, and I'll go the other way. And, and Lot looks on this piece of land. He goes, man, there's a lot of water there. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of pasture. So Abram's just going to give him first pick like that? He's just going to let him choose the best land? Why? Why would he do that? Here's the deal. You or I get in a faith relationship with God, and we start taking him at his word, and we start submitting to his leadership and rule, we're going to take on his character. So Abram was 2,000 years or so before the time of Jesus. And Jesus was the ultimate in putting other people first. And the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Philippian church, wrote to these people about taking on the character of Jesus. And here's what he said in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not, look only, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's what Abram's doing. A couple thousand years before the fact, he's taken on the character of Christ. Remember, Christ was the eternally existent Word of God who took on human flesh 2,000 years ago. But Abram's in a relationship with God the Father, Son, and Spirit, and and he is taking on his character, and he is saying, Lot, I'm going to consider you more important myself. Lot, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to put your interest above mine. You choose. How can he do that? We'll answer that question in just a minute. But humanly, we think it. We think, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm going to make sure. I'm going to make sure we're going to divide this up so I get some good pastor too. And you, no, 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 no. Lot, you take, you take your choice. So we'll come back to that. Why is that? How could Abram live out the character of Christ like this? Here's Lot's choice, verses 11 and 12. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. And they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. What, 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 what drove Lot's decision? 
money, money did. Because he, he wants to grow his livestock. The more you can multiply, the more you got to trade with, the greater your wealth. There's the good land. There's the water. There's the pasture that I need. I can grow my wealth there. There's one critical consideration that Lot overlooks, and it's in verse 13. Now, the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked, exceedingly, and sinners against the Lord. He's moving real close to people with real bad character. But all he can see is what? Money. Money. That decision's going to come back to haunt him. We'll get there in a few chapters. But it brings it home to us as we're making decisions. And we're talking about who we're going to be closely linked with. Are we considering these people's character? Are they people who follow God or not? You're in a business. You think about Dayton. You think about who are my closest connections, who, who, who are my soul partners, friends, roommates. What kind of character do these people have? It's a question we need to ask. Lot doesn't ask it. And stick with us a few chapters. He'll come back to regret that. But still, we're, we're wondering, how could Abram just say, hey, Lot, you choose what you want. Hey, Lot, whatever you want. You, I take the lesser land. Okay. How can Abram do that? Here's how Abram can do that. Verse 14 through 18. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, Now, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you will see, I will give to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Also, arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. You. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there, like he's done before, he built an altar to the Lord. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to worship. God's promises are not contingent. Oh, my word, you didn't get the good land. That's thrown me. That's not what God says. You went to the lesser land. You know what, Abram? That doesn't bother me. Look around. Look north and south and east and west. Your descendants are going to fill this land. Look at the grains of the sand and the sea story, and your descendants are going to outnumber that. Even if Abram didn't get the good land, yeah, yeah. God's not consumed. He doesn't think we have to have that to live out his plans, to live out fullness of life. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? Or do we have a condition? I can live fullness of life when? When I get this, when when I get the newest phone, when I get the vacation experience, when when I can finally move to the bigger house, when I can finally drive the nicer, when, 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 if, if, no, it's not conditional. If we understand fully that we can take God at His word, faith is the assurance of things, hope for the conviction of that things not seen. If we can live that out to the full, we're free. 
from the grip of earthly attractions. So that's what I'm arguing, the presence of God. What does it do? What freedom does it offer us? It offers us the freedom from the grip of earthly attractions. Oh, Andy, if I can't have that, no. When we understand God for who he is, we're free. I don't have to have that thing or that experience or that whatever to have fullness of life. There's a freedom in that. What will you do? What will I do to be popular? What will you do? What will I do to get more? What will you do? What will I do to get the position of executive VP? How many hours will I work? How many nights will I lay awake in in pursuit of this thing? What will we do for the earthly attractions? And then we get it and it doesn't satisfy. And we spend our life. And as we see in Abram, Jesus says, I want to free you from that. Because God's promises to Abram weren't conditional. So I'm like, oh, you didn't get the land. Oh, no. And Jesus said, I came that you might have life and might have it abundantly. End of statement. Me, that's it. Now, does that preclude making good business decisions? No. But let's see if we can make good business decisions with the other person in mind. We don't have to get everything out of the deal. Can can we create a win-win? Can we think about it? Is that even on our radar? We can live these things out, but... The beauty of this is we're not in the grip of these earthly attractions. God frees us from that. Essentially, when Jesus came to earth, he spent 30 years or so. And then he was baptized, and that baptism was significant that he was going to start his public ministry that would go three years and basically end in him dying on the cross. But before that happened, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness for 40 days. This was a spirit-led experience to be tempted by the devil. Do you know where the, temp, the devil tempted him? In the area of earthly attractions. He'd been without food for 40 days. He said, man, turn those stones into bread. And Jesus said, I can't do that. I, live, I don't live by bread alone, but by the word of God. That was, man, feed, you're hungry, feed yourself. And he said, hey, hey, I mean, people do not recognize for you for who you are. You ought to throw yourself down and let the angels get you, and then the whole world will know that you're God. What do we do? What do we do for recognition? What do we spend? What do we put on Facebook? Look at me. Then the devil says, Jesus, hey, if you'll just worship me, all these kingdoms, it's all yours. It's all yours, Jesus, all yours. And you don't even have to go to the cross. You can have it without suffering. What would we do to have that kind of control? It's all yours, man. That was a play to Jesus, are, are you free? Because you're going to be the savior of the world. You've got to be a fully God, fully man, without sin. Can you be satisfied in the Father? She said, yeah, I can. I don't need that stuff. That's the kind of freedom that God offers. And it goes all the way back to God's start in the world, to Abram, who is the father of our faith. He is free to say, Lot, you make your choice. As we return to our text, chapter 14, first nine verses, there's this bunch of conglomerations of kings. One goes against the other, and there's all this stuff going on. I'll let you read that on your own. But I want to read the result of that starting in verse 10. It says, Now the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, and they fell into them. But those who survived fled to the hill country. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and their food supply and departed. 
Here's the key thing. And they also took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions and departed, for he was living in Sodom. Verse 13, we find out how Abram finds out. There's no internet. There was no CNN to translate the news. It says, then a fugitive came and told Abram the Hebrew. He was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshkel, and the brother of Aner. And these were allies with Abram. So Abram gets word, hey, your nephew Lot has been taken hostage, taken captive. Now, Lot's been kind of a snot. Kind of, hey, some strife. Hey, let's divide. Lot just takes the the best land, really doesn't think it through, doesn't make a good decision considering what's going on in Sodom. And it would be easy for Abram to say, make your choices, you, you live with it, too bad. But that's not what he does. Look what he does. Verses 14 to 16. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he led out his trained men, born in his house, 318, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants... And defeated them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. He brought back all the goods and brought back his relative lot <clears throat> with his possession and also the women and the people. He didn't leave Lot on his own, even though Lot had made some bad decisions. And I would suggest to you that's a foreshadowing of our Savior. Romans 5 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Every one of us chose to push back against God. Every one of us has said to God's rightful rule, no thanks. You go your way, I'll go mine. And Jesus said, you know what, I'll step into the breach and I'll die for you. And if you'll trust me, I'll forgive your sin, I'll forgive your rebellion, and I'll restore you so you can live the way God designed you to live. Again, Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of dying for people who aren't worthy, who aren't deserving. But we see Abram risking here for his lot nephew. So it says, verse 17, then after there is return from the deed of uh, defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. He, Melchizedek, blessed him and said, Blessed be God of, blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Melchizedek. We don't know a ton about him. He was the king of Salem. He's a priest of God, most high. He's mentioned in Psalm 110. He's mentioned in the book of Hebrews. But here's what he said. He comes out and he blesses Abram in his victory. And he recognizes Abram belongs to God most high. And and, and this victory, second part of verse 20, belongs to God. God delivered these people into your hand. And this is this, the end of verse 20. He, Abram, gave him a tenth of all. Of all what? All the winnings. Uh, these verses are basically repeated in Hebrews 7, verses 1 through 2. First example we have in the Bible, somebody giving. Why did Abram give? Because he understood the truth of what Melchizedek said. This victory belongs to the Lord. The Lord gave it into your hands. So, so 
it's the Lord's and you're just giving back a percent of the Lord's, what belongs to Him anyway. And we talk about giving. Uh, this is why. It, it belongs to the Lord. And we're just giving back to Him what belongs to Him. We're, we're stewards. Well, no, 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 Andy, I worked that. Well, who do you think gave you life? Who do you think gave you that job? No, no, you don't understand, man. I went to school and I got trained. Who gave you the ability to, to, to live and, and to understand? And who gave, provided the finances for you to go to school, man? It just, everything we have belongs to God. And we're steward of that stuff. And so Abram lives that out. Of course I'll give back a percentage of what I have to God. Of course I will. I'm recognizing his rightful rule. He's the one who gave me life. And yet we talk about a freedom from possessions. One of those possessions is money. Are we free? Does our money have us? Or does God have our money? One of my better friends was on the staff at Lincoln Brian, was the stewardship pastor. And when his position got introduced, he said, Andy, I probably had, in the size of Brian, I probably had three or four hundred people come to me with, with budget troubles. And he said, you know, the math of doing a budget is not hard. You're not talking calculus, you're not talking trig, you're not talking geometry, you're not talking algebra, you're talking addition and subtraction. This is how much you got coming in, and this is how much you got going out. If, if this column's bigger than this column, we've we got to make some changes. We either got to get more in this one, or we've got to get less coming out of it. It's, it's, not, it's not complicated. So we'd work on a budget, let's do this, and you know, maybe you could pick up some hours here. And, and so, so we get a budget. And he, he said, I would meet with these people two or three times, but he said, really, about 98% of the people I didn't have a continuing relationship with simply because they did not come back to see me. Do you know why? Because spending, it's ultimately not a math, it's not an addition, it's a practice issue, it's an emotional issue. And these people were meeting a need for significance or satisfaction or something in their spending. And, and we'd lay out this budget, here's what you got to do, here's what you have, and then something would happen and they'd go blow it. They'd, they'd buy $500 worth of clothes when they already had a closet full of clothes. Why'd you do that? I don't know. They'd buy a, a 64-inch TV to watch the Huskers when they already had a 48-inch TV. Why'd you need the 64-inch TV? There's some spiritual, emotional need it's not being met by God. It's going to be met through purchases. I think one of the challenges when, when God calls for our money, we go, oh, we blanch. No, that, that's mine. And, and, well, are there some illegitimate needs in that? It's worth wrestling with. God wants to free us to use our money. And, and he, look, he, he blessed Abram. God's not against wealth. But he is pro-good stewardship. What are you going to do with your money that I've given you? You're my steward. Does it own you? Or do I own it? One final interaction with Abram. It says, And the king of Sodom, I'm in verse 21, says, Abram, give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours, for fear you would say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, Anar, Eskel, and Mamre. Let them take their share. Why won't Abram take from this king? Because he doesn't want to do anything that would detract from the glory of God. God is my provider. Abram wants that clear. Now, does that mean I can't accept a gift anytime? No, it doesn't. But it means we need to be wrestling with 
Is our life reflecting God's glory? Is our life reflecting God's provision? And, and we're not going to do anything that would take away from that, anything that would call that into question. God is our provider. God is making himself known, his faithfulness thrown through us, that we would make that clear in our lives. So we see Abram being freed from the clutches of earthly attraction. And we understand that until we're freed from those things, they encumber us, they keep us from going, they keep us from experiencing all God has for us. I was 11 years old. School had just gotten out, and I was playing a little league baseball game. And I loved to be the catcher because I loved the contact at home plate until this play happened. Uh, There was a ball that got loose, and the guy from third base came in, and I took my position. I would always cut off the plate because I love it. The throw comes in high here, and I get hit right there. And I go down. I heard somebody say, ow. Yes, I said, ow. I said, ow. And I, I think I actually blacked out for a second, and I got back up, and I was okay, and I finished the inning, and then, so we got out of the inning, and then I was supposed to come up to bat second, and one of the coaches looked at the knee, and he thought, eh, I, don't think, I don't think that's a good idea, and they had a guy who was a doctor, and the other team came over and looked at it and said, no, I don't think it's a good idea either. I think you ought to go to the emergency room. So that's where we went, and they put me in a wheelchair, and they went for an x-ray, and then I sat, and I sat, and I sat, and I thought, they have forgotten me. They have. It's a big hospital. They have forgotten I am here. So I mean, I'm in that thing 30 or 40 minutes. So I thought, I, you know what? I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go find out what's going on. And I take about two steps, and some orderly comes around the corner and goes, hey, you need to sit back down. You're not, you're not going to be walking for a while. You need to get back in that wheelchair. Well, that's what every 11-year-old wants to hear at the start of summer break. You're going to be in that wheelchair. Well, they gave me crutches. You need to be on this crutches. You need to go through, go see the orthopedic specialist, and they already, I think, set up an appointment. And, you know, I thought, I had great summer plans. I was going to run. I was going to be on the beach. I was going to do all this stuff. But these crutches, you know, they're going to really inhibit that stuff. I'm not going to have the summer I thought. And so a couple days later, hobble in, explain to the guy what happened. And he goes, well, stand up. Stand up for me, if you will. And he starts tapping on my knee gently at first, and he starts pushing harder and harder. And that takes about 30 to 60 seconds. Then he says, you're good. You're good. And what he was doing was he was pushing on the knee to see if it was intact. If there was a ligament tear, he was looking for some give. And and he realized there's no give. He said, I imagine what happened is your joint opened, uh, some blood came up, and then it closed, and it closed just fine. You've got a little fluid in the knee. I can take that out with a needle, or we can let it just go away. And I thought, I'll take option B there. I'm not big on needles. Um, But he said, tell you what, why don't you stay on the crutches to the end of the week? This was a Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday. I thought, "I, I can do that. And he said, what's the baseball season? I said, i got about 10 days, about three games left. He said, why don't we call the baseball season good? Um, so you, after you get the crutches, you know, you, if you would just walk for a week and then you can do, go do anything you want. I thought, I can deal with that. I can, you know, I, I, I'll be free of these crutches. And I can live the fullness of summer that I was thinking before I had this injury at the plate. Well, do you know there's fullness of life that God has planned for you? But just like I was encumbered by my crutches, you're encumbered by your love, and I'm encumbered by my love for earthly attractions. God says, I've come to free you. And as much as I loved hearing what that doctor had to say, I think Jesus has an infinitely greater message for us. His presence frees us from the grip of earthly attractions. Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, uh, we're grateful for the example that goes all the way back to the forefather of faith, Abram, free from the love, free to put other people first because your, your promises are not dependent on that. Lord, that we would be um, people who live that freedom. Uh, free us, Lord. Uh, grow us that we could take your, your word, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, that we could be free from those earthly drugs, that we could be free to put other people first. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.